0: The presentation is related to the previous one, last Wednesday night. So uh, I don't remember how many of you were weren't here, but uh, in any event, it's sufficiently independent that uh, even if you weren't here previously, uh, um, you'll be able to follow easily tonight. I'll ask that everybody hold a Tanakh in front of them. You will need a Tanakh for tonight. Amelies that relate to Purim, uh, with regard to the Masoretic text of the Hebrew Bible. And uh, um, hopefully, while this is going to be uh, somewhat technical, uh, we'll examine verses, uh, uh, but hopefully uh, the upshot of all this will be to raise some very significant questions about our present texts of Tanakh. And in that sense, as I say, it continues what I did last, last Wednesday. Um, a seminal essay by a leading Masoretic scholar uh, Rabbi Mordechai Breuer uh, was written a few years ago on many of the items that I'm going to be discussing, but I shall be moving beyond uh, his essay and indeed adducing some new evidence that, that he missed. Um, let's start with, uh, with uh, Parashat Zachor. Uh, I'm just going to list some of the problematic passages and then we'll go and investigate each passage separately. Parsha is going to be celebrated here in America, I believe, the first Shabbat in March. Um, so uh, uh, in Parshat Zahor, of course, uh, we read uh, from uh, Sefer Dvarim, the Parsha of Amalek, you open up to uh, Deuteronomy 25 or the end of Parshat Kitetse would you take a look now and in fact in each case now I want to survey what you have in front of you I some of you brought your own Tanakh, so we might actually find some different readings we'll see what happens um, all right so the end of Parshat Kitetse Deuteronomy 25 and of course the key verse I'm interested in is verse 19 the last verse in the Sedra End of the verse, which begins V'haiyabaniach Hashem l'kechel l'cha mikol oivecha misaviv ba'aretz shir Hashem l'kechel notein l'cha nachalav rishta timcheh. And I have in my Tanach et zecher amalek. Does anybody have anything other than it etsera under the zayin and the segol under the chaf? Everybody has the same. This this is <laughs> Dvarim Chafhei Yutet Chafhei Yutet <laughs> yeah, with the Tera under the Zion and the circle. No one here disagrees. Everyone has the same reading in the tanakh Okay, fine. I'm holding a uh, Jewish code of law in my hand. Uh, With the Mishnah Brura, with the commentary of uh, of the Chafetz Chaim, and and here's what it says. This is on Parshat Zachor. You're supposed to read all the Parshayot, (inaudible) biniginat tamu So it says in the Shulchan Aruch of Rabbi Yosef Karo, you should read them all (inaudible) biniginat tamu Da the Yeshomrim. This is the Mishnah Brura the yet da de yeshom rim shi tarikh mikrot zecher with a zeder gaf with a segol mit zeder de yeshom rim shi tarikh mikrot zecher amalek zain with a segol and gaf with a segol vi alkay shakorei anakhon sha kore igrashnehem and indeed in the uh, certainly in all ashkenazi synagogues when they read parashat zohar uh, the Bal Korei will read, usually, the verse twice. It's unclear from the Mishnah Brura what you're supposed to do. I'll read his words again. What he says is, The Korei should read Zecher and Zecher, right? The question now is, what does that mean? How is the Bal Korei supposed to do this? Is he supposed to say, uh, read the Pasuk until he gets to the word Zecher, pause, and then say Zecher? Or should he read the Pasuk again? The minhag nowadays is to read the Pasuk twice. The pasuk is read twice, once with a tzeder on the zayin, and once with a segol on the zayin, to be sure that we've read it properly. But everybody in this room, let them on the paleg. Everybody here has zecher. There's no debate. There's no dispute. But in any way, this is the practice among Ashkenazim. Now, lest you, uh, uh, lest you imagine that this is only among Ashkenazim, so I can assure you that there are also parts of the world where Sfaradim also read zecher and zecher. As we will see with the other cases that I'm going to raise, but this is case one. Leave this aside for a minute. It's a very strange practice. Notice the practice says that when we, read, when we read this parasha, we read from the Torah, we read the same verse twice. Do we ever, at any other time, read a verse twice in the Torah? Yeah, you don't even do when you read TK, say, as part of the regular cycle, you just do it when you read <laughs> parasha and so forth. Yeah, we don't. That's right. Which is even, even str- we, we, which, is strange. which is very strange. Which is very strange. We'll have to talk about it. We'll have to see. We'll have to see. David, all right. We'll come back to it. Just want to uh, – now, first, we're going to take – do a little accounting, make sure we uh, compare our Tanakhs. Do repeat. Who, 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 do repeat what? In, in all right, let's take a look. <laughs> but you, do you repeat Zecher and Zecher? It also, it also occurs in, ex, in Exodus. You don't repeat Zeche and Zeche. You don't. Let me tell you there are people who do. Okay. All right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> well, well, I'm going to come back to it. Don't, don't hold, just put a hold on it. I'll come back to it. Don't worry. question is why? Why do we read this Pasuk twice? We don't read any other Pasuk twice. Psu'a Daka, which some Sifrei Torah have with an olive and some have with a hay and, and we'll and there are Jews who pronounce Aleph and Hay differently. Uh, uh, not read twice. Why not? <laughs> you come to an amazing verse, uh, which may surprise some of you. And now let Megillat Esther. Would you open up to Megillat Esther, chapter one, verse twenty-two? Migilat Esther, one and, uh, and what does everybody in this room have in their tanafs? Sorer everybody has sorer, sin reish, reish any disputes <clears throat> all right in many synagogues it is read shorer Liot kol Shorer never heard that no. all right <laughs> <laughs> maybe moroccan moroccan <laughs> We'll come back to it, remember this. Okay, that's number two. Vigilat Esther, 8.11, Pasuk 8.11, What do you have after the Everybody has Vilaharog? No, ah, wonderful. Uh, slowly, now I really want to find out. <laughs> slowly. Some of you have Le- Lashmid, Larog? Yes. Who? Just yeah. you raise your hands. Laha, who has Larog? Which Tanakh do you have? The, uh, <laughs> Is that the Shul's Tanakh? <clears throat> that, I uh, that's, uh, that's the, the, that's that's that. the Sinai. The Sinai. <laughs> Right, it's a Jewish Bible, yes. well, fine, I okay. <laughs> we have, so we have uh, one, one with l'harog. No. Any other l'harogs? You have And What are you using, you're using also? The no, no, What you? It Jewish Family Bible, London edition, revised by M. Friedlander. Okay, okay, all right, very good. Anyway, so about, uh, some of you have, look at it carefully, La Shemide, Laharog ulabayd, and the rest of you obviously have la shmid laharog You have a vav. That's not, that's not what's called matris That's not That's not an aim hakriya. That vav is not a vav like in the word, for example, sorer, where it could have been spelled sin vav resh resh or sin And we don't care very much. We don't, we don't possibly say if it's missing a, a vav. That's a vocalic Vav. The Vav is there to tell me how to pronounce the word. But if I have a Vav missing in Villaharog and half of you have it missing, and it's half the people in this room have a Pasul Migilat Esther, apparently. That's what it sounds like, because it's either one way or the other. Either, either the Vav should be there and you're missing it, so it's a safe Chaser, or well, the Vav is not there, are <laughs> right. well, I'm sorry? I last week we found out that all <laughs> that's right, not just <laughs> Megiddo that's there. Right, <laughs> <laughs> What? What, what? L'chadchila, absolutely. L'chadchila, you cannot add a letter or take any safer that's chaser or yeter, l'chadchila is <laughs> pasult. But if you happen to come across one we, words, you can still read but You right? can still read. But when you, when you uh, examine the sefer and pick to read, it's it's a, it's a clear siman in hilchot uh, megillah. You must use a kosher megillah. I just told you, we had it last week. If you don't have the psuchot and stumot correct in the megillah, the megillah is pasul, psula. Today, it's psula. Uh, that's l'chad chila. you Yavad, you'll say the Kriya. We don't make you read it again. But the answer is l'chad it's psulah. Okay, so we have some problem here with 811. We'll have to come back to it now. 9-2, and that'll be the last one we'll look at for today. 9-2. It'll be be enough to deal with these cases. 9-2. Now, what do we have? All right, we have a mixed chorus over here. All right, so about half of you have apparently Bifnehem, and half of you have Lufnehem. that's not Amol Takviya. <laughs> so you have here either, either a Lamed or a Bet, something's not in order here. So half the Tanax, you're walking around, here's your official Tanax. You buy in a, uh, buy in a Svarim store, uh, uh, disagree with each other. So we don't have to look very far. Now the question is, of course, what do you do on Purim? Purim, you come to Shul, and the Valkorai reads from the Megillah, and you know how careful we are, and women listen to the Megillah, and men listen to the Megillah, and you have to have a Megillah that's Kshirah. What are you going to do? You, can, you can't write a lamed and a Baze, uh with a slash between them and have your choice. You can only, only write a megillah one way or the other. Huh, ah, who said that? <laughs> <laughs> really? Uh, uh, do we have uh, in, in, anybody who doesn't in this kihila? Yeah, we don't say Sfaradim, Sfaradim don't say anything twice. Ashkenazim do. And we're going to have to wonder what, why. Why do Ashkenazim say it twice, Sfaradim don't say it twice. Now the question is, what do you have in your Megillah? <laughs> do you have the Lamed or the Bays? But you don't, as, far as them, don't read it twice. And let me assure you, Sfaradim as as know what they're doing. They don't read it twice. The Ashkenazim they have serious problems, as we will see. <laughs> yes? Isn't it true that the things in Megillah that's there in Chapter 8 and Chapter 9, you just read, are are universally done by all Ashkenazim and everywhere and are listed in the back of the current and of no, various no. readings. That's 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 the Zechar Zecha and Zecha is not listed as is not an accepted varied reading. And like I said, the proof of the pudding is that when you read it as part of the regular cycle you don't summon. No, no. Good question. Give me a chance and we'll uh, we're gonna examine each one of these cases to see what the real history is, okay? What happened okay. We'll start with uh Zecha. <coughs> well, there's absolutely no difference in meaning between uh with a cerah and zecha with a segel yes i mean in that case not in, not in the other cases uh it might could have a slight difference in meaning yes. yeah. yeah but but zecher no, you no, will talk about it. But Zecher, Zecher, as a matter of fact, Sephardim, as you well know, do not differentiate between Kamatz and, uh, between uh, Segol and, and Seda. So it's irrelevant. Uh, For them, it's not a problem. Uh, <laughs> it is a problem. In, in all likelihood. And I would, uh, I would uh, tend to agree with you. That is, it shouldn't matter after the fact. You know, still, initially, you want to read the Torah properly. The Torah has, after all, the Torah has Tamim, the Torah has vocalization, and of course, we always want to read everything properly, correctly. It's brought in Mishnah Brura, the commentary on the Shulchan Aruch of Rabbi Israel Meir HaKohen. So HaKohim. No, no, absolutely not. Shulchan Aruch only says that we read Parashat Tzachor on Pasha Tzachor. Right. So the question is, where does this originate? Notice the Mishnah Burah gives no source. He just says Yeh uh, doesn't identify who the Yeh Some people read it Zecher, some people read it Zecher, and he leaves it at that. was published uh, about 150 years ago called Maase Rav. Maase Rav are the practices of the Gona Vilna, the practices of the Gona Vilna, uh, not as recorded by the Gona Vilna himself, but as his disciples who knew him. Uh, each one was uh, consulted and asked, what do you remember in terms of the pra- halachic practices of the Gona Vilna, min hagim of the Gona Vilna, and so on. All these were gathered together and published in a book called Maase Rav. And certainly the Gona of Vilna is, uh, is a paradigm that that one could use to know what to do and what not to do with regard to Jewish practice. In Sefer Ma'asei Rav, uh, on the section dealing with uh, Kriyat HaTorah, we read as follows. Ki Korei Parashat Zachor, the Gona of Vilna himself used to read Parshat Zachor publicly, in other words, he, he got the Aliyah, and he read that parsha." Uh, and uh, was motzi the kahal chukodei zecher So here we have testimony students of the gone said that when he read parshat zohar he used to read timche et zecher amalek that's at Deuteronomy 25 timche et zecher with two segols, amalek so it says in the body of the book, at the beginning of the book, Maserav, the author of the Maserav went to the greatest of the disciples of the Gona Vilnur, Chaim Volozhin, the founder of the Velozhin Yeshiva, and asked him for a letter of recommendation. So at the beginning of the book, there's a letter of recommendation from Chaim Velozhin. And in the letter of recommendation, which says what a wonderful book this is, he then says, however, that's from Chaim Velozhin, however. You write that you heard uh, the Gaon say that the Gaon read uh, Pashat Zahor and he read Zecher. I heard the Gaon reading Pashat Zahor I heard the Gaon. When I heard on the Vilna Gaon, he said Zecher. Zayin with a Tseir yadati, and I don't know, Imhashom im Shamu Vitau. I don't know if the people you consulted who heard the gra didn't hear properly. It's possible. I'm telling you, I'm an eyewitness, I heard uh, he said Zeche. So it could be that the people who you consulted didn't hear properly, Vitau, Loma Bishesh nikudot Oh Ulai Biziknut Chazarbo. And what this means is the Rukhayim Veloshin only knew the Gaon in his last years, the last years of the Vilna Gaon's life. So what Rukhayim Veloshin said is it's possible that the people that testify to you, they heard the Gaon of Vilna read this Pasha, who knows, in 1770 or so. The Vilna Gaon died in 1797. And I heard the Vilna Gaon in 1796. And Chazarbo, in his old age, I heard him a year before he died. A year before he died, he read Zeche. I heard him say Zech. So it's possible that uh, at an earlier stage in his life, he felt that the correct reading is Zech. This is is what we find in the letter of Rav Chaim for Lodz. Now, uh, you asked about what about Ashkenazim? You know, let's see what Ashkenazim do. Uh, You can't judge by what Ashkenazim do in 1996. Ashkenazim are very confused in 1996. If you want to know what Ashkenazim do and did, you have to go back to the 12th century, 13th century, 14th century and find out what Ashkenazim did or didn't do. And now I'll tell you some interesting things. First of all, right here in uh, Washington Heights in Manhattan, there is a community, uh, the, uh, the Breuer community, that is the synagogue that continues the traditions of Samson Raphael Hirsch and Minig Frankfurt. Hagen of Frankfurt. They don't read Zecher and Zecha. They just read Zecher with its sayer. No debate. These are Ashkenazim. Right? They don't know anything about this ruling of—well, uh, if they know about it, they disregard it. And, you know, these, these Germans are very careful. They preserve their traditions exactly as they heard their father and grandfather say it. And it's not only in Frankfurt. In many other small towns in Germany, the minig was to read Zecher, and they continued to read Zecher. Notice in all kumashim, what does it say? Zecher. Nobody here had Zecher. Everybody has Zecher. In the first edition of the Hebrew Bible, the first Mikraot Kedolot, and the second Mikraot Kedolot, all the great editions of the Hebrew Bible, going back to Bamberg in Venice in the uh, 16th century, all of them read Zecher in the Mikra'ot Kedolot text that we use today, everybody, Ashkanazim and Sfaradim, namely the Mikra'ot Kedolot, which was edited by Yaakov Ben Chaim in 1525, the so-called Second Rabbinic Bible, it says Zecher. That Bible was then commented upon by the greatest Masoretic halachists through the generations. I'm going to mention three, I'm sure we mentioned them earlier, but I'll just remind you of the three major figures that we rely upon, everybody, Ashkenazim and Sfaradim for for our biblical texts, um, Menachem di Lonzano wrote a sefer called Or Torah. He was in Italy, in Turkey, and in Jerusalem. He traveled the world over. It uh, was mostly in Jerusalem. Reb Menachem di Lonzano, who lived in the 16th century, in the beginning of the 17th century, he dies about 1620 or so. Reb Menachem di Lonzano in his Or Torah. Wrote his or Torah to make corrections on Yaakov ben Chaim's Mikrood Kedolot, the famous rabbinic Bible that we all copy to this day. Anybody who has uh, in their house a Mikroot Kedolot that looks like this—this this cover look—not the cover—some biblical passages here. This edition of Mikroot Kedolot, This is really a Warsaw print, but this is the same as Yaakov Ben Chaim 1525 with the corrections of the three great Masoretes, one of them is Menachem de Lonzano or Torah, so he corrected the text, he made no correction here. It said in Deuteronomy 25, Zecher, he left it Zecher. He felt that that was correct. The second great Masoretic uh, scholar and also Halachist was Minchat Shai who was a contemporary of Menachem di Lanzano. Rabbi Shlomo did the Norzi, who lived in Italy and died in 1616. And in his Minchad he also wrote it to make corrections on the rabbinic Bibles. There were many printers errors in the earlier Bibles and errors of vocalization, so he made corrections. No correction here. Everybody agrees. Pe'echad, everybody agrees. It is Zecher with Etzer. And the third great uh, Masoretic halachist was in a different part of the world, in the 19th century, Rav Shlomo Gansfried, in the Keseh Tassofer, and we write all Sifrei Torah today, Ashkenazi and follow this this type of sefer Torah, based on these three great halachists who made the corrections on the Masoretic Bible, and he also made no correction here. Everybody agreed it is Zecheh. That's it. And the Sof Pasuk, which is why, as you say, when we read Kriyat Torah, we usually, as far as you've seen, don't read this pasuk twice. I have to tell you that there are groups of Ashkenazim who when they read Kriyat in on those parshiyot, not just on parashat Zachor, but when they read the parshiyot in Sefer Shmot and in Sefer Varim that have the pasuk Zecher Amalek, many read the pasuk twice even there, even though you haven't seen it, but I can assure you that that's the case, Uh, especially amongst Hasidim. Anyway, all texts read Zecher, apparently, so far, it doesn't matter. The uh, You heard this practice of reading the Pasuk twice. Where does the practice come from? Well, it doesn't begin before the 19th century. It enters Jewish history for the first time in the 19th century. It enters, as you could already understand from what you've heard now, it enters via Rav Chaim Volozhin and uh, and these other traditions about what the Gona of Vilna read. Did he read Zecher or Zecher? So in, in Vilna, in Lithuania, there seemed to be some uncertainty as to whether it should be Zecher or Zecher based on this testimony. Even though notice Klein Velazhen said it's absolutely Zecher, right? Um, didn't matter. Once this happened, um, next we hear, I'm going to provide a missing link a little later, next we hear the Mishnabrura says Rim, some say this way, some say that way, and therefore the Mishnabrura says to be on the safe side, you read it twice, and this has now become the practice of all or most Ashkenazi. I'm not sure but I'd be surprised if he didn't read it twice because once the Mishnabrura says that this was the practice in Lithuania, so uh, in theory it should have been practice. Now, now now, I'm going to show you something, I want to show you how careful you have to be. In other words, uh, yeah in Eretz Israel, oh, absolutely, because the first settlers among the Ashkenazim in Eretz Israel were the Prushim, that is the descendants of the Groth, the disciples of the Groth. So they, have more than anybody else, made sure to read Zecher and Zecher to be sure that they were uh, complying with... Yeah, that, that's true, but then the Sefer Maase Rab, which has other eyewitnesses who heard the Gruss say the other way, and uh, and even among the <laughs> own disciples, but all go to Maase Rab. Among the Gruss's own followers, there's a dispute. All go according to Maase Rab. There's none of them go according to Chaim Viloshin. No, none of them go according to either of them. But what I'm really telling you is, Chaim Viloshin said Zeichet. Sefer Maserav, the testimony other than Rav Chaim is he said zecher, and he only read it one way. In order to be sure that nowadays we're doing it according to what the Vilna Gaon wanted, you read it twice, once one way and once the other way. So uh, in a sense, you're following both or neither, however you want to define your terms, right? In other words, Rav Chaim only read it once, so far as we know. Uh, those who heard the Graw the gro- only read it one way, apparently. All those who heard him read it, again, and again, all those who heard the grower read it testify they heard him read it one way. He didn't read the puzzle twice. But now we read it twice because we have conflicting testimony as to what they heard. Got it? Okay. Where would the building to go and get it from? There's no question. All right, now, now let's see. Good question. All right, good question. So uh, <laughs> listen carefully. And now you'll see that the spire did enter the picture as well. Uh, it's quite amazing. Small world. I'm going to remind you of a uh, beautiful Talmudic passage. And as I read you this Talmudic passage and translate it, please, please remember that the Talmud has no vocalization. There's no kamatzir uh, patach in the Talmud. So uh, uh, that's going to be a factor in everything that I'm reading to you. But the basic story we can follow with with some qualification. Here's the story in the Talmud. This is, and you can go look it up on your own, this is the Babylonian Talmud, Baba 21a and B. The Talmud begins by expounding a verse in 1 Kings 11.16. You don't have to look at it. Now, 1 Kings 11.16, where it says that the commander-in-chief of King David's forces, Joab ben Tzruya, Joab, was together with Kol Yisrael, sheishet chadoshim, ad hichrit, zachar. he was six months at a certain place and during those six months he uh, destroyed all the males of an enemy all the males that's in the biblical text. no, no one here has a different reading in their biblical text so We don't have to worry about that. now the Talmud continues David when Joab came to his teacher to, to his uh, commander-in-chief and king King David. To report what had happened. And he told them, I was there six months and I destroyed all the males. So King David turned to Joab and said, Why did you kill all the males? That is, why did you kill only males and not females? When we wipe out an enemy of Israel, we wipe out the entire nation. Who told you to wipe out only the males and not the females? Amarle. So Yoav answered, very simple, it's a pasuk in the Torah, it's a pasuk in the Torah. Now remember, you know, there are no dots here, so I, I'm, I'm making up these this vocalization, but surely that seems to be the plain <coughs> sense. So Yoav, right, King jo- Yoav, Yoav, the commander-in-chief, responds to David and he says, you want to know why I killed only males? It's a pasuk, Timchei et Zachar <laughs> Marley, so David Amelach answered, you see, once upon a time, Jews knew Tanakh. Marley, v'hanan zecher karina. what do you mean you killed all the males because it says Timchet Zachar Amalek? We read Timchet zecher Amalek. There's no dots here, so this is not going to solve the problem of whether it's a Tzereh or a Sego. But the sense is. In had Amalek, the memory of Amalek, wipe out all of Amalek. Amar we read Zecher. Amarle. Joab was no fool. So what did Joab answer? Amarle. Ana Zachar Akrion. My teacher taught me to read Zachar. A beautiful passage. You see, in Tanakh, and of course in the times of the Talmud, doing on the no Kudot thing is the There was no Patach All you had is Hebrew, the way modern Hebrew newspapers are, and the way uh, most Sfarim without vocalization. Right. So the Gemara says here that uh, Yoav answered, "It's true. You have a tradition that it's uh, but my teacher, I went to, I went to, uh, to, to, to David, and uh, my teacher taught me uh, <laughs> uh, Zecher. You can't argue with me. My teacher taught me this." Azal Shayleh Rabe. So we, the Gemara says he went. We don't know who the subject of he is. He is either Yoav or David Amela. in dispute. Plain sense, it's really Yoab. But Azal Shayleh Rabe. Anyway, once King David set him straight, Yoav decided to go visit his old school. And he probably got uh, uh, an honorary medal or something, graduate degree from the institution. He came back. Famous general now. And he seeks out his old teacher, who taught him in the first grades, and obviously who had taught him, as he said, "Timche uh, et zachar amalek." He finds his old teacher. How did you teach us forty-five years ago in school to read this pasuk? Amarle. Now I have to tell you, it says "Zayin Chafresh. It's <laughs> the Talmud here, so. Uh, 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 no vocalization. But I can tell from the context, probably, uh, there are many different real ways of reading this Talmudic passage, but the plain, simplest way, most of you shown read it, Amarlei Zachar. Yoav was right. His teacher was still teaching the same way. <laughs> the teacher taught him all those years ago, mistakenly, Zachar. So the Talmud goes on and says, Shakal He drew his sword. And he was about to slay his teacher. Amai, so the teacher said, just because I didn't teach you properly, you're drawing your sword. This is not a capital offense. dichtiv arur hashem rimiyah. He cites a famous verse from Jeremiah, that uh, cursed is anyone who, uh, who doesn't teach properly, who does Hashem, which means a teacher, rimiyah. So, a very clever teacher answered. Amar lahu de the, the verse says, "Cursed!" So, if you want to curse me? That's perfectly fine. But uh, put your sword away. Uh, it doesn't say anywhere in the verse that you can uh, take my life. K'tiv, arur midam. It says right there in Yirmiyahu, "Cursed is he who doesn't use the sword." When he should. Katle, the So there are two traditions. Some say that Yoav did slay his teacher, and some say he didn't slay his teacher. Um, I always assume that he didn't slay his teacher because the teacher probably told uh, Yoav that um, 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 incompetent teachers, you see, uh, can be retrained, can, can teach correctly. A dead teacher, there's nothing you can do with a dead teacher. So, so uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's uh, one way of reading it. Uh, I'm tell you, I, I, I tell you beforehand that in the Rishonim, there are other ways of reading this Talmudic passage, other very interesting ways of reading um, the Talmudic passage. Some of the interesting commentaries on this Talmudic passage say that indeed the teacher taught him Zakhar, and Yoav remembered Zachar. That wasn't what the teacher was punished for. Every teacher can make an honest mistake. You know, you don't put teachers to death for for uh, teaching uh, uh, misinformation. Uh, but that the teacher never corrected Yoav, all those years, that was the mistake of the teacher, that he allowed David HaMelech to read it wrongly and he never corrected David HaMelech or didn't watch carefully to see what David HaMelech was saying. This is uh, this is what troubled uh, David HaMelech. Uh, in other words, let me explain to you how others vocalized this gemara. Yoav came to the teacher, and he asked the teacher, how did you read this verse? And you know what the teacher said? Zeche. The teacher knew what it was, and the teacher had taught him correctly the first time around. But he never corrected David in the exercises. David kept reading it Zachar, and the teacher had never corrected him. So Yoav, for that, uh, Yoav, Yoav had never uh, been corrected by the teacher. For that, the teacher was punished. Nothing wrong with misteaching, teaching but there is something wrong with not correcting students when students make errors. Uh, students make errors in your presence. That's how others read this Talmudic passage. As a sample, okay. But I have to tell you, I brought with me a fairly rare book. This is a printed edition of a book that was printed by Sfaradim, based on Sfaradic manuscripts of the Talmud. Um, the book is called Hagadot HaTalmud. It was printed in Constantinople, in uh, Reish Ayin Aleph. So Reish Ayin Aleph would be, what, about uh, 1511 or so. This is one of the first printed books. This is a reprint of one of the first printed books. Hagadot Patalud, Likait Chacham Sfaradi Lonodashmo. We don't know who did it. Anonymous Faradi gathered together all the agadic passages from the Babli, put them together, a kind of what we call today the Ein Yaakov. This is not the Ein Yaakov, this is a different work. And when you open this up to Baba Batra, to the story that I just read to you from the Talmud, it has the whole story, but of course, remember, you know. Uh, these books are published without vocalization. So this Faradi, when he told the story, since it has no vocalization, he put in the words sayda and "segol" etc. Wherever they needed to be put in. Now listen to what I'm going to read to you: the key line from the story here. My time of v'aret turns to him and says, "Why did you kill the males only?" Perush, Eloharakta hanikevot. Amarle dichtiv timchhe it and then it says Zain Khafresh Amalek, presumably Zakhar Amalek. Amar Lay. Dabit answered. Anan Zecher Karinan Besegol. Pass it around for you to look at. Don't take my word for anything. Anan Zecher Karinan. I underlined it on the Anan, Zecher, Karinan, we read Zecher, Pesego. Maybe he meant Segol under the top instead of Zecher. No, that's not what No, 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 no. No? I don't think so. Now, maybe I'll, I'll be able to bring some evidence for that. But I just want to show you that. Yeah, Here again. We have the Rashba preserved. I'll pass this around for people who want to look at it. Rashba, of course, is of Shlomo Ibn Adret from Spain, thirteen hundred or so, and he also reads. We have preserved the Rashba's commentary on Baba Batra, and he says Zecher b'Segol Karina. Yes. And yeah, what would that mean? Meaning the Smichut of zachar Who? okay but what is that would be the mistake that would be yoav's mistake yeah Yoav. would be a shva under the zayin if you're assuming that the the uh, in the in smichut the absolute form zakhar with two kamatzes would become zikhar that's what you're suggesting zikhar amalek if that's the case so uh that would be Yoav's mistake. No teacher would have thought of that. Yoav would have misread it, perhaps. That's possible. Okay, but, but you haven't accomplished anything. Either way, it's, either, either way, it remains Yoav's mistake. It's not what he could have, That's not what Davaramelech was telling him, that's for sure. Okay, yeah, I want to show you that we have ancient evidence from the medieval period for a segol, and now I'm going to bring you one more of evidence. This is the most ancient evidence that we have for this kind of reading. So this answers your question. Do we have any evidence? Yes, we do have evidence for Zecher And where is it? It's in the book by Rabbi David Kimchi, the Radak. Radak was one of the great commentators on the Bible. Uh, he spent time mostly in France, but he spent some time in Spain as well. He was a great French scholar. And uh, Radak lives in the 13th century, end of the end of the 12th. And first half of the 13th century. The Redak wrote a uh, grammar called Sefer HaSharashim, which I'm holding in my hand. And under the root Zion Chaf Reish in Sefer HaSharashim of the Redak, listen carefully, it says as follows Timche et Zecher Amalek with two segals, one under the Zion and one under the Chaf. Timche et Zecher Amalek. In case you have any doubts about it, it says bishesh Nekudot. bishesh Nekudot. all right? Dvarim chafay yutet bishesh nikkudot. Kainhu b'miksat zvarim. That's what he found in some manuscripts of the Torah. U'b'miksat zvarim zecher b'chamesh nekudot. We'll pass this around so you can see the testimony for yourself. So already in the 13th century. We have a tradition preserved by the Radak that some Bible manuscripts read Zecher and some read Zecher. Um, so there's room here, there's room here for whatever the testimony was regarding the Gona of Vilna. Yes? I'm surprised that the, the right? Right. Because he's a and no, no, I, told, I, want to, I want to explain to you again. The Shulchan Aruch only says that you're supposed to read uh, Pasha Zahor and Pasha Zahor. The Rabbi Yosef Karo himself doesn't say a word about whether it's Zecher or Zecher. That was a commentary, I was reading from a commentary, a 19th, 20, or late 19th, early 20th century commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, Mishnah Brura. Mishnah Brura is the one who says that we read the Pasuk twice. He's an Ashkenazi, and he's basing himself in the first instance on testimony regarding how the buhl read. What I just tried to show you was that we actually have much earlier evidence that there was some problem whether to read Zecher or Zecha. What does he mean by yes, Even the Radak himself said that some manuscript Yeah, he wasn't referring, believe me, he wasn't referring to Radak. He was referring to the two traditions in terms of how the Gra read this. He was the Khapitzhai, the Mishnah Brura had in mind the fact that Chaim Velozhin said you should he heard him read Zecher and somebody else heard him read Zecher. So he couldn't make up his mind whether it's six dots or five dots. And the Mishnah Bruh says, and it sounds like he originated this. Before we leave tonight you'll find out that he didn't originate it. But it sounds like that it's the Mishnah Bruh himself who originated the practice of reading the Pasuk twice, because the Vilna Gaon didn't read it twice, and Rebbe Chaim didn't read it twice, presumably, and those other testimonies didn't read it twice. The first evidence for reading twice comes from the Mishnah so you the also involved. How did they get involved? Yeah, I'll come to it. Uh, I'll, I'll come to it shortly. Okay. In this instance, the only way the Sephardim are involved is that there seems to be some evidence relating to Sfaradim rather than Ashkenazim, that uh, Zachar uh, was written with a segol. Zachar was written with a seghel. Uh, it's not strong evidence. And here I also want to be unequivocal in terms of Masoretic matters. We have a principle. And remember this principle. The principle is, in reading a Sefer Torah, or in writing a Tanakh, and in reading a Pasha from Tanakh, we follow the Balei HaMessorah. That's the principle. Even if the Talmud says otherwise, even if the Halakha says otherwise, the rule is we follow the Balei HaMessorah. And the Balayam al means that 1525 edition of Tanakh, which was based on Masoretic texts, it means following Minchat Shai, those three famous Masoretes that I mentioned, who devoted their lives to establishing the correct reading and pronunciation of Tanakh, and to find the best texts that are closest to the best scribes that were once in Tiberias, namely the Ben Asher family, and to, in fact, as best as possible to follow the Aleppo Codex. Wherever they could. That's, and that's what we follow to this day. Now, the answer is let's take a look at the Aleppo Codex, right? Well, but you all know a lot yeah. more than that. We don't have the Aleppo Codex to Deuteronomy 25, right? So the Aleppo Codex is not, what, what do you know now? Where, where, where are we going to look? <laughs> we have Rabshalem Shachna Yellen, who sent his son in law uh, to examine every reading and list them of the Aleppo Codex, and we don't even have to look at the Aleppo Codex here because I already got finished telling you that every great Masorete who ever lived, including the 1525 edition, followed by Minchad Shai, followed by uh, uh, Or Torah, all these people having looked at many manuscripts, and all of them found only Zecher, Zayin with the Tzereh, and nothing else. Aleppo Codex, in case uh, and if you have any doubts about it, we have several testi- testimony of several witnesses who went to it. He was asked that as they sent a letter to Rav Siton, the rabbi uh, 2519, Zecher, Zion with a tzedah, chafu The question is, is it Zecher or is it Zecher? Zecher, um, with five dots, answer Cain. They looked at the Aleppo Codex. The Aleppo Codex has Zecher, Zion with the Tzeda, Chaf with a, a Segol. There is no question in the world that Alpi Halakha, according to the Balei Hamesora, since the Halakha is we follow Balei Hamesora and nothing but Balei Hamesora, the answer is the correct reading here is Zecher, and that's why all Sfaradim don't read this Pasuk twice. There's no reason in the world to read it twice. They read it once. It was only the Ashkenazim who instituted at a very late period Read this Pasuk twice. And you already heard when the Ashkenazim instituted it. That is sometime in the 19th or 20th century. Shoder, Nigilat Esther, 122. Shorer, will you take a look again? Okay. We have Soder. Now, here it is just an unbelievable error. I'm amazed that anybody in the world, re- and I hear it, it happens to be in the uh, synagogue that I attend in Kew Gardens Hills, New York, they read Shorek, Uh every uh, when they read Megillah this And uh, since I've never given this lecture in my own uh, synagogue, so uh, they don't know any reason to do it otherwise. York text reads: sorer. Liot "Sorer, sorer, from lashon Strada, to rule, to lord it over, so that all, that every man shall rule in his own home." Kolish sorer bevet By the way, those who read sorer, I can't guarantee for all the people. I think some of them think that they're reading uh, that he should whatever it means. He should sing in his house, which he'll whistle or something, which uh, may be senseless. Uh, but those who know a little more Hebrew understand shorer as a poet called a polel form from shur uh, those who oversee their house shorer from Lashon shur those which in a sense will come out to mean pretty much what shorer means anyway but where do we find shorer no masoretic manuscript in the world reads shorer period it's ridiculous to even think of reading it that way however it's wonderful what you find in jewish literature so i brought a sailor with me called Likutei min hagin I'll pass it around to whoever wants to look at it. And in Sefer Likutei again, page 4a, it says as follows. Vikriata Migila, Vipasuk Liot Kolish Sorer de Veto, Migila 122, Rova Olam O'mrin de Smolit. Most of the world reads it as a sin. Vutaut Tzarichlo Mar Shorer. And now I know why in Q Garden Hills they read it this way. Tariqla Mar Shore, you're supposed to read it Shore. Bishini Manit. The Khain Itab Ferush Bam Sora. And it actually says it in the Masoretic notes that you're supposed to read Shorer. The Khein Kara Kadosh, Raban Shahobneyagodor, Rabinu Shalomi Bells. Bells are at Says you're supposed to read Shore. Vape Rush Mitlashon Mashgiyak, Moashurena, etcetera if you don't want to be in the old minhag of reading Sorer, you see there's only one right way of reading it according to this that's shorer. but if you want to keep up the minhag of uh, the rov olam that reads Sorer, which is everybody in this room apparently Yikra pasuk Pamayim. here you have the notion of reading the pasuk twice read this pasuk twice Pamachat אחת כפי namely shorer. We'll pass this around so you can uh, take a look at it if you want. That's a source from uh, the beginning of this century, 1900, the testimony about Rav Shalom gets you back to the 19th century, so already in the 19th century here's another pasuk in Megillat that was being read twice. Now I have a Megillat there with me that is a Tanakh Mikorot Kedolot with the Mesorah so I want to show you what happened here. This is absolutely amazing. I mean, you go home, you look at the Mikrod Esther 122, and you won't find this in any book anymore. Liot Qalish Sorer B'Veitot. All right, this we all have. No one has a different reading. Now there is a Masoretic note. That's the beauty of owning this edition of Mikrod Kudalot, by the way, is that you have the Nisarak Tanan and the Nisarak on every page. Many new editions of Mikrod Kudalot don't have this. This is the edition and the only edition that's printed today that has the Masoretic notes. Now, it says right next to the word, there's a dot on there's a circle on top of sore, which means there's a Masoretic note. And the Masoretic note reads as follows. Lamid. I'll explain in a minute. What is Lamid? Leta. Okay, what does Leta mean? Only one. Only one. Lamid. Ktiv. And then it says Shin Yud Nun, or shin Yud Nun, depending on how you want to look at it. Leta, tib, shin. Now, whenever a word occurs only once in all of Tnach, when I say a word, I mean that particular form of the word. So, for example, sorer. Sorer, vocalized sorer, spelled sin, resh, resh, occurs nowhere else in all of Tnach. You go home, take out a uh, concordance if you want. You will not find sorer anywhere else. Whenever you have a word like that in, in the, the S-R-E-T note, immediately it says leta. There'll be a little dot the Masoretes in the 10th century wrote these notes so that you could be sure to spell the word properly. And they write leta, meaning that's how you spell this word. And it has no parallel anywhere in Tanakh. There's no other word like this in Tanakh. Any place else Tanakh, if you have sin resh resh, it's not going to be so rare. It'll be sharar, it'll be something else. won't be so rare. This is unique for Tanakh. But it doesn't just say leta. It says leta k'tir shin right now somebody who knows nothing about Masoretic texts in this particular case it seems clear somebody connected with Bells read (laughs) this to read letaktiv sin nowhere in Tanakh does this word occur with a sin letaktiv sin so but it says here shin Resh resh answer what is it shin Sorer, active sin. sin, but that's not what this Masoretic note says, somebody misread it that way, what this Masoretic knows, the note says is let active shin. the word soreir nowhere else occurs with a shin, period, there is one other word that occurs in Tanakh, pronounced the same way, sorer, like this, but instead of sin reish reish, it's samach reish, reish it only occurs once, Right? So that's what it, what it says here is, he, now, if you're an expert in Tanakh and you're writing Tanakhs, how are you going to remember whether Sore is with a shin or sin or Sore was with a samach? So there's a note at each place. Here there's a note that says, this one is with a the sin. There is no other place in all of Tanakh that there's a letter, the word shin, resh resh, with a sin or a shin. Either way, with, with a three pronged letter that we call shin or sin. The reason how to add those two words with a shin or sin is because there is another word, sorer, exactly sorer, pronounced exactly the same way, with a samach, and that's an ech. That's what this is all about. But somebody who didn't know how to read Hebrew, didn't know how to read Masoretic notes, got it all confused and decided that this should be sorer. All right, there is no Masoretic world in the manus- uh, manuscript in the world known today that reads uh, sorer over here. It is only sorer. and no reason in the world this pasuk should be read twice Okay. now listen uh, we'll take the last two cases together because uh, they're very easy to do 8.11 was Lahashmid, and then half of you had V'il L'Harog U'L'Abeid and half of you had L'Hashmid L'Harog U'L'Abeid Here we have to follow the policy I've been uh, telling you to do all evening, and if you did it, you'll find something quite amazing. The Mikraot Gedolot that we all use today, and that are these are copies of the 1525 famous Second Rabbinic Bible edited by Yaakov Ben Chaim. That's the first great Masoretic Bible, the first Hebrew Bible, that was printed very carefully together with the Masoretic notes. But the man who did it, as great as he was and as important as he was, Yaakov Ben Chaim, was not the greatest expert in the world in Masoretic matters, and he also had limited access to manuscripts, and worse yet, he converted to Christianity, all of which doesn't help too much. Um, so we're still using his text of Tnaq. Every Mikrozh to Dolot, I'm not talking about little Tnaqs that some of you haven't found, but every Mikrozh simply repeats the 1520, text of the 1525 edition of Tnaq. So if we turn to 811, and I'm now going to open up to Esther 8:11, and please look at your Tnaks again. 8:11. Uh, I have in Mikraot Kedolot, and all Mikraot Kedolot read Lashmid, Laharog, Ula Abed. There's no Vav here. All right. Others here also have Lashmid, Laharog. If I remember before, Ula Abed. Esther 8:11. I have Lashmid, Laharog but if you would look in Minchad Shai and Minchat Shai is printed in the Mikro on Esther anybody wants to come up afterwards and look or if you would look at Orpora or if you would look at Keset Sofer, the three great commentaries that came to correct this Tanakh all three correct it all three say this is a terrible error it is not rogu la Beid it has to be corrected, all Ben Asher manuscripts and all good manuscripts of Tanakh read lashmig, lashmid, Harog Ula abe. take a look, Min chachai. take a look at Keser Sofer, take a look at uh, Or Torah and those of you who have good Tanaks already have it they all say you have to correct the text, the text was never corrected you follow what I'm saying? the printed text has the same error from 1525 all the Perushim on this verse say it's an error all the experts agree pe that it has to be lashmid v'laharog u'labeid none of them say read the pasuk twice why well, read the pasuk twice that's ridiculous this is a mistake read it correctly lashmid v'laharog u'labeid and the aleppo codex of course has lashmid v'laharog u'labeid based on the testimony of the those who saw the aleppo codex Good. Well Baruch Hashem? you have a kosher Miguel? You have Ngilak Sherra. now check now check the next one. It's not like it's on Kriyuktiv. All right. It's not Kriyuktiv. No Kriyuktiv here. This has nothing to do with Kriyuktiv. this is an error that people make. Now let's move to nine. 9.2. Same thing exactly with nine two. The printed text in fifteen twenty five mistakenly read the Ishlo Ahmad Bifnehem with a bet. Bifnehem. Minchat Shai, Or Torah, Kesetas Ofer, all say they examine the best manuscripts, and the best manuscripts read Lifnehem, and you have to read Lifnehem. And I hope your Megillah has Lifnehem too. It's terrific. Very good. Okay, that is correct. That's how uh, it is in the source. Where did Where did it come? This Minhag to read twice, very strange. Now, so far, what testimony do we have about reading twice? You only know it from two places. If you're listening carefully tonight, where do you know anywhere? Where did you ever hear that you read a pasuk twice? Where? Well, Mishnah Brura, Mishnah Brura, right? Said you should read a pasuk twice. That was the first time we heard it. Where else did we hear it? (laughs) And we—that's oh, right. It, it said here that uh, to be yotzei Kol read it twice. That's around 1900. That's the same time as the Mishnah Now I can tell you that uh, I can push it back hundred years, and that's it. How can I push it back hundred years? We have incredible testimony, which uh, which I will read to you from two svarim, and one of these, one of the testimonies I'm going to read to you gives us the date when, the, for the first time, the pasuk was read twice. You'll see where it came. One testimony has to do with the Khatam Sofer. Khatam Sofer is one of the greatest of all Ashkenazim and the greatest Poskim of all time. Shilotu Chivot Sofer. He died in 1839. 1839. And here's a testimony from his grandson, who says as follows: The Shevet Sofer. The gam Hag Adoni Avi Moris the Beit Midrashol likrot shnei pa'amim ha-psukim, la-ashmid, la-harog, u-la-abeid, ki nichtav la-harog belovav ha-chibur, u-megila shelov nichtav bein hashitot vav ha-chibur. The Kodian Oda pam So listen carefully. We have a testimony of the grandson of the Chassam Sofer that in the Chassam Sofer's Megillah, it said la-ashmid, la but before the Larog, hanging a little above the Larog, was a Vav. And it was the custom of his grandfather, the Khatam Sofer, to read it twice. So he read it once without the Vav and once with the Vav. Now it continues. Very strange. Very strange. And this is certainly the earliest reference to that. This is very nice. Uh, so the Chhtam Sofer, we have the testimony of his grandson that there were two psukim, 811 and 92, where the Khtam Sofer read the whole Pasuk in both cases twice, once with the Vav, once without the Vav, once with a Bet, and once with the Lamid, depending on the case. And that's the practice we still, many Ashkenazim do to this very day. Look at the problem. I want you to understand what's happening here. The Khatam Sofer had the Mikroz He had this text. So he saw in this text, it's the way it's printed. This is a mistaken text. But he couldn't know that this was a mistaken text. All he knew is that this is the famous Mikroz On the other hand, he had access to good Masoretic manuscripts, and he saw that in the Masoretic manuscripts, the difference between the printed text and the Masoretic manuscripts, to be on the safe side. He read these two psukim twice. The Khtam Sofer initiates this, as it were, among Hungarian Jewry sometime before 1839, and it remains a practice to do it for those two psukim, by the way, not for Sorer, and not for any other psukim, as far as the Khtam Sofer is concerned. That's Edechad. Now we come to H. Shani, a different witness, and this is in Lithuania. A book was published in Jerusalem many years ago been reprinted recently. The type has been reset in a beautiful edition. Um, the book is called Sefer HaTzadik Reb Yosef Zundul Ne Salant. This is a biography of a, a great rabbi, the teacher of Reb Yisrael Salanter, and the most famous disciple of Reb Chaim Veloshin. Reb Chaim Veloshin himself had a student by the name of Reb Yosef Zundul Nei Salant, and if you were here last week, Reb Yosef Zundul Salant was one of those people who signed on the letter in Yerushalayim that we have to get copies of the Aleppo Codex so that we can rewrite all our scrolls according to the Aleppo Codex. Rabbi Yosef Zundul Salant was very interested in Misorah and Masoretic matters, but he was, he began his life in Lithuania where he didn't have access to too many manuscripts. On page 46 of this biography of HaTzadik Rabbi Yosef Zundel Misalant, we have testimonies, letters written by Rabbi Yosef Zundel, by others. And now this is Rabbi Yosef Zundel speaking himself. They found his letters in Jerusalem. and In one of his notes, in one of his notebooks, they found the following paragraph. Uh, he used to be the Bal Koreh. Zundel Salant and he describes what happened several times when he used to read a word and there was a problem and what Chaim Valojan said, etc and so forth about the problem. He gives various cases. And then he says as follows. He also had a Mikilat stare. The 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 Bet I asked Chaim Velojin about it. I already told you, Chai and all the other sources say you have to read lifnehem. You don't follow the printed of the But they happened to have a Megillah one year they were reading from, and the Megillah had bifnehem, which all the authorities say is wrong. The Gam had a Tiv, the Minchachai Gufa, and Yosef Zundel Salant said, I pulled out the Chai and I showed it Rabbi Chaim to show him that the Mincha Shai says you have to read this lifnei not bifnei and Rabbi Chaim Voloshin told me, ad heina hayan minhago pasuk asher natan beit pamim. Chaim Voloshin said, and notice, I listen to his language, and I'm going to be didactic duct- on his language. Until this day, hayan minhago, it was my minhag, meaning Rabbi Chaim Voloshin's minhag. Mikrot pasuk Asher Natan twice. Asher Natan is eight eleven. Megillah is 8: eight eleven. I used to read it twice. Pamechat laharog uPambet So the Brachaim Viloshin used to read one pasuk in the Megillah twice, namely eight eleven. Umeata, and now that you showed me another pasuk, Bifnehem Lifnehem Yikru Gama pasuk Nikalu. That is read this pasuk nine two. Bait Pamachat Upam And now Rabbi Yosef Zundel continues. At The time I read this Megillah and I was told to do this by Rabbi Chaim Volozhin, Bishnat eighteen fourteen. Gives the date. In eighteen fourteen, Rabbi Chaim Volozhin himself instituted reading one pasuk twice. Uh, and, here, and he mentions in 1814 that he already had been reading before that a certain pasuk twice. And the Tup Tukim are 8.11 and 9.2. This minhag, and, and when, he, when he talks about the one that he already instituted, he says, he calls it minhago, his minhag. So the evidence is fairly clear. The two earliest witnesses are the Khatam Sofer and Rav Chaim Volozin. And in the case of Rav Chaim Volozin, it's a little earlier perhaps than the Khatam Sofer, 1814, and one... Pasuki read twice before 1814. The Pasuk of Shorer, Sorer is a mistake. Forget about it. it. There is only Sorer, there's no Shorer. Zecher, Zecher, there is some dispute. We saw Radak already mentioned the possibility of Zecher, Zecher. But L'halacha, no one ever read that twice. It was only read one way until the 19th century, and maybe even later. It is it is without question the uh, Mishnah Brunah who says, against the Vilnagon, only read it one way, and even against Reb Chaim and against the other testimony, because the other witnesses all say, we heard him read it one way. No one says that he read it twice, and no one says that they read it twice. But the Mishnah Bura says, just to be sure, following the principle, if you like, that was already established by Reb Chaim that when he had doubt, he read it twice, so they read Zeche, uh, Zeche twice as well. But the problem is, and you know this from last week's discussion, and now I come to my conclusion. What? The problem now, the problem is, is tremendous. The problem is, we have hundreds of differences between manuscripts. No one says that just because there's a difference in the manuscripts, you have to read every manuscript. You'd spend the rest of your life in shul if you were going to, you wanted to be Yotzei Kolashitot, right? There are hundreds of differences, but we have rules. We have halachic rules when you have differences. And what are the rules when you have differences? Acha harov. You follow either the majority, or you you have to write a sefer Torah. What are you going to do? You have to write a sefer Torah, right? So the din is the general rule always was holkenachah harov, and not just any old rov. Rov with the best manuscripts, and that's what Minchat Shai did. That's what Remei Habalevi Avulafia did. The Yad his Mesorat Siagla Torah. And that's what Minchad Shai did, and that's what Or Torah did, and that's what Keset HaSofir did. And all of them, Pechad, no one ever says, read a Pasuk twice. They all said the same thing. You follow the majority of manuscripts, or the correct manuscripts, and you read it correctly. No one said you should read these Sukim twice. This is a modern phenomenon. And as I say, of course, it, you can lean on heavy shoulders here. You have the Khatam Sofer, and... Uh, and Reb Chaim and we have the testimony that they are the ones who instituted this in the first instance. Now, I want to spell out that in the, case, in the case of the Ch'tam Sofer, I didn't read you the whole passage, Ch'tam Sofer said specifically, he's only doing this for himself, in his house. He will not allow this in public schools. And public schools should follow halacha and just read it the correct way, whatever we decide is the correct way. All right. So, but no one listened. And uh, people said, if the Khtam Sofer did it, it must be good enough for everybody else as well. And they also started reading uh, twice. And of course, Rukhain Voloshin made it clear that in two instances, and only two instances, in Megillat Esther, he would read twice. He certainly didn't say anywhere that Zeche Zecher should be read twice. Yes? <laughs> he didn't. And I, and, I just, and, I, and I just told you, I, I think for a very good reason. He didn't want others following this practice. He, it, it was a chumra ba'alma that he followed for himself. That was the point. He didn't, he didn't, uh, he didn't think this was something that, al pi and I can even tell you more. I know, his, I know his shita. His shita was very much to follow the best Masoretic manuscripts. In halakha when you write a Sefer Torah, you write a Sefer Torah according to the best manuscripts and the majority reading of those manuscripts. You don't write two, read the pasuk twice. Either you have a right or you don't have a right. Either you have a kasher Sefer Torah, you don't have a kasher Sefer Torah. Why, uh, uh, right. That's just for reading. For reading purposes, for, he was machmir al Smoke. He made it very clear, I'm telling you, and the grandson spells this out. What about why did he take it if, if, if so sorry, didn't want is a separate case. And in the case of Raphaim Velojin, who didn't have too many manuscripts, I can only assume the following. He was torn between mikraot Dolot, which he thought was authoritative, to print the text, mikraot Dolot, which we still have. Now Mikraotkodolog still prints mistaken readings. No Megillah is allowed to be written today, according to what the Mikraotkodolog prints. So he was torn between what was viewed as one official authority, the received printed biblical text, and he had a real Megillah in front of him that read differently. didn't know what so. His answer was, in these two cases, um, which, don't forget, if you add a letter or take away a letter, we're not talking now about a tzere or a tzegel, here we're talking about changing the nusach of the text, these two cases, he wanted to be on the safe side, and uh, so he called for uh, reading it twice. Okay. And notice, reading the whole pasuk twice, spelled out in this case again. So, what happens when you read it twice, right? you're adding a letter to the mikilah? You're adding a whole… you're so re- you reading it from a different well, letter to different uh, letter. <laughs> you're, read, <laughs> no, no, you're reading, you're reading a whole verse twice. So on what the, in the verse, You're just adding a letter here or taking off a letter? Oh, in a chinami. That's right. You're reading It's like it. Cra- in that sense, it's like a krayunik too it's like a cray inactive. There is such a phenomenon, or you read out loud one way but it's written another way. There's such a phenomenon. That's what happens here. It's very, it's very strange, but Rav Chaim knew how to learn. You don't have to worry about it. Right? <laughs> All right, so you have... It's not a no, It's not? It's not No, I mean, he's asking, let's, let's say, it's, let's say your Mikila said Bifnehem, right? Now you're going to read it by heart and you're going to say Bifnehem. Yeah. It's not, it's not in the text that you're reading. In that, as I'm saying, in that sense, your yo say it's like a like I said it's like only like it's not it's not a tiv. <laughs> okay no absolutely not oh no no cross show okay now I want to, I want you to know Big I have a little uh, an amazing book here and I don't want to take the time to read it who adds many more verses you should read twice All wrong. Uh, to the about this thing poor one uh I don't even have mentioned it nowadays everybody's adding more and more verses uh Ruchayim only spoke of two verses, the uh, Ch'tam Sofer only spoke of the same two verses, as a matter of fact. These two great people who instituted this practice for the first time uh, in the 19th century set it for two verses alone. Nowadays, people have gone off the beaten path, and wherever they find uh, these kinds of uh, differences, they're reading verses twice and so on. And now I want to tell you why this is terrible and wrong. And you already know why from last week, and then I'll, I'll take questions. have the Aleppo Codex. Whatever doubts we had, we have the best manuscript in the world of Tanakh today. not even doubt anymore. We can check every one of these readings. And anyway, the halacha has always been, if you have the best manuscript, you read according to the best manuscript. No other minagim, uh, none of this business of reading all kinds of different... Because let me tell you something, if you're worried about all the readings, then you already know from last session, as a matter of fact, the Aleppo Codex, which we have, has other readings that are different, both in the Gilat Esther and in the Torah, and much more important readings than anything you heard today. So, if we're going to start and say the principle is, wherever you have some doubt, you have to read the Pasuk twice. There are much more serious sukim that you're going to have to read twice, much more serious matters that poseh l'seifet Torah. So, to give you the simple sample, and I think I spoke about this, open up your right now, to Genesis nine, uh, <laughs> <open it>. <clears throat> <clears throat> 929. nine twenty nine. Reshit nine twenty nine. I will take a survey first. Okay. Uh, you're going to have a, now, now. Now listen carefully. We're talking about the Torah now. In the Torah, as in the rest of Tanakh, but especially in the Torah, if you're missing one letter, or if you add a letter to a Sefer Torah, the Sefer Torah is pasul, and you're not allowed to read through it publicly, and you're not allowed to make a bracha. No bichat Torah, and that's why we close the Sefer Torah when we find a mistake in it. If you add a letter, or if you subtract a letter, I'm not talking about i'm not talking about amota kriya above or you in the middle of a word all right so nine twenty nine what do you have first word everybody has vahi you you you've been different tonight many times and once again yeah what are you reading from Go ahead <laughs> you have you have uh, yeah, you have, you have Biblia Hebraica, and that happens to be a Ben Asher manuscript, what's known as B19A. Uh, this is a famous Ben Asher manuscript that was in, uh, in, uh, in Russia, uh, Leningrad, and you have a printed text. Of, so, what do you have? That's a good Ben Asher manuscript. Vayiyu. Everybody else here has Vaihi. Everybody has Vaihi. I have another manuscript. This is called the State Bible, and I have Vaiu. So we have two values here. Don't worry about grammar here, we're worried about we're worried about the, worried about the, the, the Kabbalah, okay. Vayu. I have i u you have Vayu. i u I have Vayu. I, have Vayu. I, have Vayu. I have a British Museum manuscript, a Ben manuscript, you have the Leningrad manuscript which is a Ben manuscript. Now before I say another word I want you to understand this, the serious of this, the meaning there's no great difference. It's a singular kol noach or a plural. Vayahi call you may or you call you may knowach. He could not call you may, could take a singular or a plural. But it did, it's not a vowel. why? That's not, that's not a motakriya. But it, it, uh, when you have a vav at the beginning of the word or at the end of a word, in a Sefer Torah, if that vav, if you have, what do you have? It has a little star on top there. What does that mean? You have. In the
1: that yeah you have
0: a little star there a card in the back the it might be something in the back you have to look in the back on your last page and it might say something You, you have a little star, but I have no idea what it is. Uh, in, in theory, you have a little asterisk here. In theory, that asterisk should be uh, to send you to a list in the back of your Tanakh somewhere with variant readings. That's what it probably really means. It might say that in the beginning somewhere, but uh, I don't see it immediately. Anyway, it doesn't matter, above vav at the beginning of the word or at the end of the word. I want to spell it out again to you. A vav at the beginning of the word or at the end of a word. If it's supposed to be in the Sefer Torah and it's not there, it's called Chaser, it's Pasu. If it's not supposed to be there and you put it in, if it's Vayahi and you put in Vayyu, Sefer Torah is Pasu. Anyone who adds a letter or subtracts a letter from the Sefer Torah, and, then, and the halakha is beginning or end of a word. If you change a letter in the middle of a word or take it away, it's also, except in the middle of a word, uh, it makes an amotakriya, alate bab yud, alti so halachai, even though that's but we don't Pasu the Torah. We are not in today in what's called chaserot v'yateirot. There's a famous passage in the Maren Kedushin that says we're not expert in chaserot v'yateirot. Chaserot v'yateirot means in the middle of a word. Alatei vav yud, in the middle of a word. Alatei vav yud, at the beginning of a word, even if it's a vowel, doesn't matter, but at the beginning of a word, if you add it or take it away, either way, if it's supposed to be there or if it's not supposed to be there, you're safe in Torah's at So So I should understand the problem here. Now, you have, most of you have Vayahi. I can assure you all Sifrei Torah and Brooklyn have Vayihi, all right? The Aleppo Codex has vayi And the Rambam said that you have to write according to the Aleppo Codex. All right? And we follow the uh, Halakha should be And indeed, if you, you'll take a look at Minchashai and the very Fashim, they wrestled with this. They had a tremendous problem. They knew they had a serious problem here. Okay. But I, I want to explain to you, grammar is not Halakha LeMoshem the, the, the Ben Asher manuscript is, you see, in other words, we have a Kabbalah, how to write a Sefer Torah. They handed it down from generation to generation. You can't amend the biblical text on a rule of grammar. If, you, if I would follow your principle, you'd have to change all sorts of psukim. There are a lot of places in Tanakh where we have grammatical problems. You can't do it. You can't amend the text on the basis of grammar. We have a received text, we have B'nai, the B'ale Amesora spent endless years of their lives telling us here it's with Avav, here it's without Avav, regardless of the grammar, you understand? The, uh, All right, I, want to, but I, I just want to explain, I want to explain, so I want to be sure you, you understand the immediate problem we have. The immediate problem we have is the manuscripts themselves here disagree, it's not a simple matter. Here there's really a disagreement among the best manuscripts, whether it should be Vayih, or whether it should be via you. There actually isn't a disagreement. So you have to count the majority of manuscripts, that's halacha, and it was done in various centuries and in various geographical areas, the count was made, and uh, the last person to do the count was Kesset Tasselfer. I happened to bring a, a copy with me. This is what it looks like today if you would buy it in a bookshop, the Kesset Fair. and the Kesset Tasselfer says, today when we write Sifre Torah, we write Vayi that's it. He counted all the Sifrei, all the manuscripts wherever he lived and the majority was Vayihi, we follow Vayihi. He didn't have the Aleppo Codex, but now we have the Aleppo Codex and uh, all the best Ben Asher manuscripts. We have the Leningrad manuscript and so on, and they read Vayihi. Now, if I'm not going to read that Pasuk twice, and nobody's reading that Pasuk twice, right? You haven't heard anybody read that Pasuk twice in Parashat Allah don't trouble me with uh, uh, bifneham uh and reading all these other sukin twice, because there the whole this crucial question in the Sefer Torah the whether you have a kosher Sefer Torah in front of you if I really wanted to follow a Chumrah or if I wanted to be yotzei Kol there, and I'm only giving you one sample there's more but I'm giving you the kinds of samples where if we really had to make a decision that's where we have to make a decision whether we're going to read it once or twice um, now they didn't have that problem, Ruf Chaim didn't have that problem, the Khatam Sofer didn't have that problem, because when they counted in their day the count was made already and they already had Vayehi, they already made the decision that you read Vayehi, Holchen but now that the Aleppo Codex is available and not only that problem, nobody here has a Breuer Tanach? Uh, you forgot to bring it, okay. Uh, now, Breuer claims he follows the Aleppo Codex. And if he follows the Aleppo Codex, of course, he was missing the. Uh, the Aleppo Codex today is missing uh, the first, uh, almost the whole Torah, most of the first five books of the Torah. But we have the testimony. Not a problem. We have lots of testimony. All those people who went to Aleppo and recorded what they saw, they all have Te'echad. Everybody agrees. I have the evidence in front of me. It's, uh, and Breuer and it's Vayu. Yeah, so Breuer, Breuer is very diplomatic. I have to give him a lot of credit and uh, he brings both. He brings both. I think he prints, I'll be uh, the best of my knowledge, I don't have a Freud's snap with me, I think he prints Vayu, and in the margin he writes, Svarim Hacherim Vayehi, which is fair. In other words, the Aleppo Codex, he's letting you know, I'm printing the Aleppo Codex. The Aleppo Codex says Vayu. Svarim Hacherim, others read Vayehi. But what I'm really getting at is, as we learn more and more about Misora, and now we know a lot, and we have more and more evidence, and now we have especially the Aleppo Codex, and via computer and photography and so on, we have all the manuscripts in the world now that you can look at and catalog them, compare one manuscript to another. It turns out that these debates that once took place in the 19th century, which was a debate between a mistaken printed Mikraot Kedolot and Kitrayad that was still preserved, so in some instances they, they said read a pasuk twice. Uh, in the light of that, make up your mind. E- either you're going to have to read a lot of Pasukan twice, or don't read any pasuken twice. But we have a serious problem on our hands, and this is part of the struggle that I spoke about last week that's going on now between Yerushalayim and Bnei Brak. In Bnei Brak, the famous Rabbanu Ndei Brak said, we have to rewrite all our svarim according to Bnei Asher. And some rabbani, A certain famous rabbi, Rabbi Atzabi, among others, said, no reading twice. Not in Megillah, that's nowhere else. No reading twice. We either have Psakh Halacha how to write, or we don't have Psakh And if we have Psakh Halacha how to write, that's what's Kasher in Gamarnu, you don't read twice, no reading twice. On the other hand, in Yerushalayim, the Sofrin in Yerushalayim said, we're not going to follow the Ben Asher manuscript. We do what our fathers did, and what our grandfathers did, and what our grandmothers did, and they wrote this way, and we're going to write that way, and we don't make any changes, and we don't care about what's happening in the rest of the world. If it was good enough for the Khtam Sofer, it was good enough for the Chaim V'lazhin, we just simply follow exactly whatever he did, nothing changes. And there are Haramim flying around, and Yisurim, and bands, and so on, and La Yehudim, Hayta Ura, V'Simcha, Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Regarding uh, pronunciation controversy, do you have any uh, sources or research based on the, the differences between the, um, the Hasidic pronunciation and the I I, I am not – you mean just pronunciation of Hebrew in general? Yes. Yeah, sure. so no. Yes. Uh, um, and uh, and Absolutely. And they both have problems. <laughs> Uh, it's very simple here. Sfaradim make no distinction between between uh, uh, segol, segol and, uh, and Seda. If the if the Balea B'Sorah used two different notes, right, two different signs, one is Seda and one is segol, there was a difference in pronunciation. Sfaradim don't have it. Now Ashkenazim uh, mispronounce half the letters of Hebrew. Uh, they make no distinctions between uh, the letter tav, soft. And samach, uh, and with a digation, without a digation, all sorts of other letters. They and of they of certainly of don't of, pronounce uh, the gutturals, ayin, and so on properly. They about, uh, there are certain common things that Ashkenaz, Ashkenazim and Tafaradim that, that uh, are totally different. Absolutely. Yeah. The answer is simple. Look, Tafaradim lived in Arabic countries. Their pronunciation of Hebrew is very much colored by Arabic pronunciation. Arabic makes no distinction between segol and Seirah. Sorry, I didn't make no distinction. Ashkenazim lived in Germany. Uh, They spoke Yiddish. Uh, Those dialects and those sounds influenced how they pronounce a cholam, and so on and so forth. This is well known. The question, the real interesting question is, in pristine form, if we can go back to the time of Tanakh, what did Hebrew sound like? And the answer is we have evidence. There are people alive today who can speak Hebrew pretty much. Can tell you exactly what Hebrew sounded like in the time of Tanakh, in the time of Chazal. And books are being published now all the time. (laughs) Uh, Let me explain to you in part how it could be done. So it it, it requires great scholarship, but it can be done. Uh, Nothing can be done with 100% certainty, but uh, you can move in in the right direction. in many Sidurim, take a look, you want to see sometimes, in uh, Ashkenazi Sidurim, uh, uh, the Kaddish is transliterated into English. You ever see that? You ever yeah. see Yiskadal, Yiskadash, and it'll say Y-I-S. Mm-hmm. Hey, okay. um, uh, you don't have to know anything about Hebrew, but if you can read that transliteration, if you know English, and you can read that transliteration, that tells you what somebody heard. In other words, whoever did the transliteration, he heard. He didn't hear yit, he heard yes, so it says y-i-s. If he heard yit, he would have written y-i-t, right? So we have transliterations. We have transliterations of Hebrew into Ladino, into Latin letters. We have transliterations of Hebrew into Arabic. We have translations of translations of Hebrew into English letters, into Latin, and so on, from all different periods. We have transliterations of Hebrew into Greek. We have transliterations of Hebrew into Latin from the time of Jerome going back to the fourth century in other words and Greek from the first centuries BC. Uh, transliteration it's the same thing We have a beautiful Greek transliteration of a good part of Tanakh in Greek letters they're writing the Hebrew they're writing breisit, para, they're writing it in Greek letters. You're absolutely right. So I didn't I say at the beginning, you have to be a great scholar to do this, not, not everybody can do this. But based on this, you can reconstruct very, very well, and, and, and we don't have to. And, and we know how well we can do in many instances, because to take Yiddish, for example, Yiddish is a living language. People alive, there are many different dialects of Yiddish. Hungarian Jews speak one kind of Yiddish, Lithuanian Jews speak another kind of Yiddish. We know exactly what it sounds like. It's recorded now. We can record the Yiddish, there are, mod- there are live people who are speaking Yiddish, and we have books from the 17th and 18th century transliterations of Yiddish into Polish that is written in Latin letters, Polish books, and sure enough, we can test and we can see exactly what Yiddish sounded like. That's right, Uh, absolutely, you're you're absolutely right, but you know, one can do as much as one can do, right? Um, So what I'm really saying is there's much evidence and whole huge volumes being published right now in the last year, as a matter of fact, quite a few volumes were published in Israel on the pronunciation of Hebrew and Talmudic times and so on. We have the Yemenite community. Everything's being recorded now, by the way, also. The last <coughs> Yemenite Rabbonim who remembered how the Talmud was read, forget about Tanakh. They have a tradition how to read Shas. They have, uh, they memorize, memorize the vocalization and a, a tune. They have, uh, they, have mas- they have a Ta'amim for, for, for Mishnah. How do you sing Mishnah properly? Uh, it's all recorded now. now. Now it's not even a problem anymore. Now it's recorded. It's on tape. Has me analyzed and studied, and so on. Does it reflect a particular dialect of a particular period, and so on? Scholars are doing this all the time. So uh, uh, they're not going to solve every problem in the world, but what all I'm trying to say is, is a pretty good sense now of what Hebrew sounded like, both in the biblical period and in Talmudic times. And what they discovered so far is neither Ashkenazi nor Sephardi. <laughs> <Is> <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, and they can account. Well, I want, to be, I want to be precise here. They can account exactly for, for all the sounds in Ashkenazi pronunciation of Hebrew. It's not that Ashkenazi made up sounds. It's the influence of the dialects and sounds where you live on how you pronounce letters. You live in America long enough, you pronounce an R a certain way. As an American pronounces an R, when you're going to say Resh, you're going to pronounce Resh the way an American pronounces an R. That's all. Uh, no one as closer to the real thing? As far as, you know. as far as modern scholarship, no one is closer to the real thing. No. Oh, to the extent no. that the distinguish between. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, they. they uh, that's right. They have th that's th- right. So, so, uh, uh, but here, here each Eda each Ada, uh, including Ashkenazim, believe it or not, each one preserved some sounds better than others. In other words, uh, yes, it may turn out that temanim ultimately preserved more of the sounds, uh, but on the other hand, they elided some sounds. They prena- some they preserved, some they didn't.